want to remind you to be praying for John Stevens. We might have a slide of his picture for those of you who don't remember, have his name and face put together. Uh, John is in India, southern India, working with Hands on Houses, which is a ministry that helps people to build their own homes in an economic way. And uh, he's there doing some training with his welding skills. And, of course, it's more than that. It's connecting with people for the sake of the gospel. I, um, if you follow his blog, and we have the reference to that in the bulletin, I uh, was really encouraged this week to read him talking along these lines. I can't imagine doing anything else. I love what I'm doing. It's just really great. He's just thoroughly... Uh, uh, I think we've lost him to India, <laughs> which is being found with Christ, I think. But he, he talked along those lines, and then a few days later, it's, what am I doing here? Why did I come? Why did God choose me? <laughs> because of the mosquitoes and the heat and the language barrier and, and the, the fatigue and, and the traffic, which is crazy. And many of you know that I've been there several times, and I totally relate to what he's talking about. So uh, let's pray for John as, as well as prepare our hearts for the message today. Father, we love what you're doing in John's heart. I, I'm just so encouraged at the way that you're at work in his life. It's not specifically that he's gone to India that makes it happen. It's that he stepped out pursuing a, a dream that he's had for several years and, and his preparation for it and the way that you brought people behind him to support him and pray for him and give toward his work in India, and, and now he's there. And I just love the way he's loving being there and totally understand the struggles of being there as well. It's just, it's the normal Christian life exaggerated when we step out into a mission endeavor like he is. So, Father, I do pray for the basics, that you would keep him well, protect him from physical harm, uh, from disease and sickness, and you would give him times of rest and refreshment. I'm grateful he's had some of those times along the way, and I thank you, Father, for the hearts of of uh, Don and Margie Cook, who direct the ministry of Hands on Houses and the way that they've carved out this niche ministry there, uh, helping people to build homes for themselves and, and providing for them uh, good homes in, in a difficult place in the world. And with that, Father, of course, comes the love of Christ and the, and the message of the gospel that gets communicated through the relationships that are formed and through the, the church ministries there that are, that are sponsoring and connected with the people so thank you for that. But thank you for what you're doing in John's life. I know that you're growing him, and, and I can tell because when, we, when we're really growing, it's painful, and we want it to stop, and yet we love at the same time what work that you've designed for us to do. So I see that going on in John's life and know that you are working in, through, and for him by your grace. And continue to sustain him by your Holy Spirit. Give him wisdom. Give him good times of connecting with people uh, in spite of the language barrier. Provide Father, the bridge for those, uh, those barriers to be overcome and give him strength and endurance and joy, even as so evident that he already, you're already doing that in his life. And Father, as we engage your word today, would you have mercy on us, or have mercy on me that I can speak clearly from your word, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have for us today. You are a great giving God and you have graciously called us to be those who give graciously as well. So help us, be with us. Holy Spirit, teach us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, if you're a Christian today, 
It's because God has poured out the grace of Jesus Christ for you and in you. But that the nature of this life-transforming grace is that it's meant to be shared, sp- spread. It's supposed to go viral. So it's something that we can't keep to ourselves. And we find a lot more joy when we share that grace with others than when we keep it. So how do you spread the grace of God? Well, we could express it in all kinds of ways, but I'm going to sum it up in two simple ways, by serving and giving. Serving with our gifts, time, talents, and serving uh, by giving with our, with our finances. This week, we're going to talk about finances. So if you uh, love to hear a, a message on giving, then you're in the right place. If you hate it, just endure and put up with it. Yep. Uh, we're going to look at the biggest section in Scripture on giving, which is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9. We're not going to look at the whole of either of those chapters, but we're going to look at two big chunks out of that. And we're going to look at 12 principles that come out of those texts. And because we're going to cover 12 principles, we're not going to get deeply into any of them. So probably you can avoid being convicted because we're just going to touch on some things. So you got that going for you. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to motivate the Corinthians to renew and complete a commitment they had made to donate funds to relieve the impoverished, suffering saints in Jerusalem. This is about 50-ish, between 50 and 60 A.D. And he begins by sharing an example of generous giving by the churches of Macedonia. Now, Corinth, the letter he was writing with the church in Corinth, is in the equivalent of what is today southern Greece, where they spoke with a southern Greek drawl. And, um, and then Macedonia was in northwestern Greece. And so that... For those of you who know your geography, that's maybe a little bit helpful. If you don't know it, then you just know it's in Greece, both of these. So we're going to look at uh, the first nine verses of 2 Corinthians 8. First nine verses of 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich 
So the first principle here is in verses 8 to 2 of chapter 8. And that's giving generously is not wealth-based, but grace-based. Giving generously is not wealth-based, but grace-based. Paul says, let me tell you about God's grace given to the churches of Macedonia in their suffering and poverty. Now, we might think that God's grace to them would be relief from suffering and poverty. But Paul says the results of God's grace were abundance of joy and overflowing generosity in the midst of their poverty and suffering. So God measures generosity not by giving out of great wealth, but by our being motivated by the grace he has given and giving joyfully in spite of hard circumstances and poverty, whether we're wealthy or not. Regardless of how much or how little money we have, whether all of our problems and uncertainties are resolved, many times we feel that, well, I can't give to God's work and speak... By God's work, we're talking about ministry, church ministry, missions, mercy works in Christ's name until I get all the problems in my life squared away, until everything in my life is in order. When does that happen? It doesn't. So when that's the condition, we don't end up giving, right? Or, as, or giving as we might. Second principle, just jumping on, uh, we get from verses 3 to 5. And... In that text, Paul says, they gave according to their means, that's churches of Macedonia, the poor, impoverished churches, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints. What would move a people who are suffering and poor to give according to their ability, or even, uh, even let alone beyond their ability, and what's more, to beg for the favor of not for money for themselves, but for the grace of participating in the relief of the saints. That word participating or sharing, taking part in, is the word that means fellowship. So they, they considered it something they wanted to participate in. They wanted to part in the fellowship by giving. Uh, and they did it without being harangued. They did it of their own accord. They did it without manipulation. They did it without uh, being beaten over the heads. So they just freely of their own desire, begged to give. I mean, when does that happen? Well, Paul says the reason they did that is because they first gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to the Apostle Paul and his group in terms of relationships. So we know that we readily spend or share money for our own families because of our relationship with them. So grace-based giving is out of our relationship with God first as our Father and then his family with whom we serve and share life. So God isn't just looking to extract money from us. He's looking for the relationship with us. And within that we see this is how I should give. It's grace-based. It's relationship-based. Third principle we see from uh, verses 6 to 8. And in verse 6, Paul talks about how Uh, Titus, his partner, said that they should complete among them the act of grace. This giving to the Jerusalem saints that they had promised they would do, was he called it an act of grace. And he says, um, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech. So grace-based giving, the third principle, is one expression of all acts of grace in our lives. The Corinthians were a gifted church. They overflowed. The word excel 
is a word that means to overflow. They overflowed in faith, speaking gifts, um, in miraculous gifts, in knowledge, and spiritual zeal, and they enjoyed Paul's love for them. So Paul's saying they sh- also they should overflow in this grace. And so in other words, the, the grace is flowing through them in terms of spiritual gifts, but they were kind of hanging back in their giving. And we need to recognize that some may display spiritual zeal in all kinds of ways. They may appear to be very zealous, very spiritual people, but if we're not also giving to the Lord's work in terms of mission, ministry, and mercy, then we're missing part of the outlet of God's grace, the overflow of God's grace in our lives. Paul isn't commanding them to give, as in show me the money whether you want to or not, or no no autographed Bible text for you. He's not, he's not commanding them, but he's giving them an example. He's saying, I'm proving you, that you have the love of Christ in you by stirring up your hearts, by sharing with you this, this example of the poor Macedonians and their giving. And he says that because he's confident that they are going to, they're going to respond because they do have the grace of God. They just need to be stirred up to exercise the grace of God in giving in this area of their lives. So not commanding, but encouraging them by the example of the Macedonians. The fourth principle, grace-based giving is motivated by Christ's grace in giving himself for us. One of the most precious verses in all scripture, I think, this verse 9, this is where Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So the reason God's grace should motivate us to give out of genuine love is because of the grace of Jesus Christ for us. He was rich in glory as the Son of God, in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He had no suffering, no pain. He was enjoying being the Son of God in fullness of glory. He was not uh, enduring any hardship at all. And so his poverty is he laid that aside and stepped down out of that privileged position or laid aside the privileges of it and came down to us. So Jesus did this that we might become rich in receiving forgiveness in exchange for his taking our judgment, exchanging our unrighteousness for his righteousness, our death for his life, our alienation from God for his perfect fellowship with God. This is the most generous donation ever, ever in the history of the world, isn't it? Jesus giving himself, laying aside his... Riches beyond, we can't even fathom how great he is, was, and is in his glory and how magnificent his relationship with the Father is. And yet he he laid aside the privileges of that to come down only to redeem us. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. That's grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, that we might through his poverty become rich. That's a good one to memorize. Have that in our arsenal. That leads us to the fifth principle, and that will be in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. So now we'll read that chunk of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for the harvest, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all, uh, and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So in verse 6, the one who gives generously will have bountiful results. That is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So if you only scatter a few seeds, like if you're trying to plant grass in your yard and you've scattered just a few seeds, you're just going to have a few spindly little blades of grass. If you overseed, you're going to have lots of grass and perhaps a green lawn. Or if you scatter only a few seeds, you're going to reap only a few vegetables. But if you liberally plant many seeds, you're going to reap many vegetables. If you give only a small proportion of your income to the Lord's work, that is, his mission, his ministry, and mercy, you will only participate in a small portion of the Lord's harvest. If you give generously, you're going to participate in a large portion of his harvest. That's what this text says. So it means... My contribution to the Lord's work will be in proportion to my generosity, not based upon amount, but upon my heart motivation and relative sacrifices. Not based upon amount. It's based upon the relative sacrifice it is for me to give and my heart attitude in giving. We'll see more of that. Jesus said a poor widow who contributed two half cents put in more than everyone else who put in big amounts because she gave all she had to live on. So that's how Jesus measures uh, the bounty of with, with which we give, the generosity. Now, what we value and believe in, we will put our money into. Have you noticed that? I mean, I don't hesitate to spend money on things that I value, that I know, that I want, that I should have, I think I should have. And so, if we value God's kingdom priorities, we'll put money into it. And in heaven, we'll see the full results of our investment in God's kingdom, even though we may not see, we will not see all of it now. But we won't give generously from our hearts unless we believe what this text teaches, that God does cause our gifts to be multiplied and use them for the sake of his kingdom. But some people have perverted this text and others like it to mean give to our ministry and God will make you rich. So if anybody ever says that, shut the TV off, run away, run quickly, far away, do not listen any further Amen. because it's, it's a perversion. Enticing people to give to get earthly riches for their selfish gain is a bad thing. Paul's not trying to motivate giving with covetousness, as you might imagine. Sixth principle from verse 7. Give as you purpose in your heart, not reluctantly or out of mere duty. 
So a stereotype picture of how many give or don't give is of a person who gives very little or nothing unless he or she is manipulated by emotional appeals or arm-twisting guilt. So thankful that Roy didn't do that to us this morning very much. Not that he isn't capable of it, right? But Paul says we are to give as we have decided in our hearts. What should be the posture of our hearts in giving? Not grudgingly, reluctantly, grieving over what we could have done with the money. Not under pressure, compulsion, or mere duty, but cheerfully, gladly, and freely. That's what God loves. It's not the quantity, but the heart. So a mother wanted to teach her daughter a lesson about giving. She gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. She said, put whichever one you want into the collection plate and keep the other for yourself, she told the girl. When they were coming out of the church, the mother asked the daughter uh, which amount she had given. Well, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. (laughs) So if that's how we think about this, then we're still in the learning growing process. Giving should not be from grudging compulsion or mere duty doesn't mean no planning or discipline can be involved. Uh, Regular, planned, disciplined giving is not opposed to cheerfully doing it. Rather, Paul explicitly stated a person must give as he has decided or planned in his heart. How do you decide what to give? Well, the average American Christian has decided to give about 2.5% of their income. And about 40% don't give anything. What about tithing? What does tithing mean? It means giving a tenth of your income. This was God's requirement for people of Israel. And on top of that, they actually had two other tithes and free will giving as well. God invited the people in Malachi's day to test him. The prophet Malachi said, uh, through, God said to the prophet Malachi, put me to the test and see if I don't pour out blessing until there's no more need if you tithe, which is gracious of him to do that because he had commanded them to tithe, to give a tenth at least. There's a debate as to whether the tithe is still applicable to Christians today. Some are sure it doesn't apply. Some are sure it does apply. I'm not going to get into that debate here except to make this comment. It seems odd that grace-based giving would involve a smaller percentage than what was required under the Old Testament. It's been the practice of our family and me since before I was married and since we've been married to see uh, what we give to the local church as the bottom floor uh, of a tithe of 10%, and that's the bottom floor, and try to give more than that, and then beyond that, in addition, uh, support different works of mission and mercy. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. So there you go. If you think you can spare it, perhaps we're not giving enough. And I'm challenged by that. I don't know about you, but I can always give more. Just when I think, you know, I've given what I should give, I can always give more. But the main point is the discipline of regular purposeful giving is not at odds with cheerful non-grudging, grace-driven giving. Regular giving is in part a regular expression of faith that everything I have is from God. So I'm constantly saying, God, I'm acknowledging that everything I have is from you, and this is for you, from you, and it's for you. 
So purposeful giving from the heart. And in addition, we, we can respond and ought to respond. We can't respond to every request, right? I mean, we get loads and loads of requests, mails, emails, uh, th- things we hear about at church, things we hear about through mission works, but we can respond to some one-time and temporary requests. So it's, it's a challenge, but we need to prayerfully decide how to give. Seventh principle, God causes all grace to overflow to you that you may overflow in every good work. God is super generous with his grace. And as soon as you spend it, he's loading more grace. He, he gives and gives and gives. You cannot outgive God. You can't deplete his supply. So what is the result of God? God is able to make all grace to abound. Uh, God, what is the result of God's power, his power, making all grace overflow to us? That we will have all sufficiency in all things at all times to overflow in every good work. So whatever he, he's calling us to do, God promises by his grace he's going to give us what we need to do what he calls us to do. And that includes giving. It's not limited to giving. Next week we'll talk more broadly about serving. But the very nature of God's grace is that those who receive it become conduits for his grace rather than consumers. Conduits rather than consumers. Few things evidence the power of God's grace more than when people are freed up from their wallets, transformed from being self-serving with their finances to overflowing in good works with their finances. Again, we have to ask, do we believe what this text teaches? Do we believe that God really loads grace in our lives that includes allowing us to be generous beyond what we could have thought? Eighth principle. Eight. Number eight. God supplies and multiplies what you give and grows the fruit of your righteousness. God supplies and multiplies what you give and grows the fruit of your righteousness. So Paul quotes from Psalm 12 to express a common Old Testament theme that a righteous person evidences his righteousness in being generous to the poor. He then connects between generosity and righteousness. Just as God supplies seed to farmers and thus through that supplies our food, so he supplies and multiplies our money for giving and produces the harvest. That is the fruit or the results of our righteousness. So he gives us the grace gift of righteousness to begin with. It's only by grace that we're counted righteous in Christ. And then he multiplies that as we use it for his kingdom. A wealthy man was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work and still possess great wealth. The man replied, Oh, as I shovel it out, he shovels it in, and the Lord has a bigger shovel. So God's really good about that, shoveling grace our way to allow us not just to give financially, but including giving financially to his work. Uh, Scott Lewis is the owner of Scott Machinery. He attended a conference where Bill Bright, the late Bill Bright, director of Campus Crusade for Christ, challenged people to give $1 million to help fulfill the Great Commission. Scott laughed at that, far beyond anything he could imagine, since his machinery business was generating an income of under $50,000 a year. Bill asked, how much did you give last year? Scott felt pretty good about his answer. He said, we gave $17,000, about 35% of our income. Without blinking an eye, Bill responded, 
over the next year, why don't you make a goal of giving 50000 Scott thought Bill hadn't understood. 50000 was more than he had made all year. But Scott and his wife decided to trust God with Bill's challenge, asking him to do the impossible. God provided in an amazing way with the miraculous December 31st provision. The Lewises were able to give the 50000 The next year, they set a goal of giving 100000 And again, God provided. He wrote a few years later that they passed the $1 million giving mark. They said they weren't stopping there. Now, I'm guessing that God is not going to entrust too many of us with that level of income or giving. Um, he could. It's not impossible. But most of us are not that wealthy. And so, nevertheless, the truth of this text applies to us. That um, our money is from God. Are we all there? Our money and our cell phones are from God. And as long as we're using, using it for the glory of God. And um, the, increase, the increase of our money is from God. And whether we're living on very limited income and faithfully giving what we can, or whether we're wealthy by American standards, wealthy. By the world standards, we're all filthy rich. You know that. The rest of the world. Um, our money is from God. The increase of our money is from God. And as we use it in faith, obedience to Him, we will increase the results of our giving to advance His kingdom and bless others. If I have received the grace gift of righteousness, this is a joyful incentive. I love to see God's gospel multiplied. Ninth principle. Giving not only supplies needs, but overflows in thanksgivings to God. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, says Paul. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Why does God give us riches? Well, certainly one reason is so that we're not having to depend on others for food, clothing, and shelter. He supplies our needs, not our greeds. With credit cards, we can go on to greeds. But beyond that, it is so we can be generous, meeting needs of ministry, mercy, and mission in Jesus' name, resulting in overflowing thanksgiving to God. Of course, this means that we give in such a way that God gets the credit. That's our desire. We want him to get the credit. We want him to get the thanks. We want to see people overflow in thanksgiving to God. Uh, Studies do show that in the world, when donors know they will receive public acknowledgement, they donate more. So hopefully our motivation is not that we get acknowledged, but uh, we want to give with the desire and design that thanksgiving overflows to God. But whether people become aware of, of our giving, we have done or not, we point people to God as the provider and the motivator. That is what gets us our blood flowing, is that God gets thanked, God gets praised. And that relates to the tenth principle. Giving causes people to glorify God for gospel obedience and generosity to others. Paul said that the the impoverished Jewish Christians would glorify God because of their submission that comes from their confession of the gospel of Christ. So what Paul's saying is the proven character of this service, the Jerusalem Christians would glorify God because of the Corinthian obedience, once they make good on their promise, to their confession of the gospel. The gospel breaks down racial, ethnic, ethnic, 
cultural barriers. In this situation, it was Gentiles, Greeks specifically, giving to Jews. And that was a huge cultural barrier in those days. And in some ways, it still is. So because they believed the gospel made them one people, they were willing to support people who otherwise they had been culturally divided from. So they they were being true to the gospel. Uh, Do we believe the gospel creates a new humanity, God's household and family, so that we share our riches as the extended family of God? Do we believe Christ wants to make disciples from every people group? Do we believe in showing mercy in Christ's name to the suffering? Does our giving reflect gospel priorities, gospel obedience? Giving is a good way to show how we believe the gospel, how we obey the gospel of Christ. Eleventh principle. We're just flying. We're almost done here. Ready to to land the plane. Giving produces prayers of affection in the church because of God's surpassing grace. That's what Paul says. They long for you as they pray for you. Generous use of money builds and strengthens relationships in the body of Christ. Giving that flows out of the overflow of God's grace creates affection and results in prayer for one another. A real great example of that is uh, Paul Pillay, who founded Indian National Inland Mission. Uh, We have supported him as a church, and and we were connected with them before we came here. And uh, over the years, he writes personal letters still on an actual typewriter. Now, a typewriter is this machine that's got mechanical keys, and you press buttons, and it, it, it uses an ink ribbon on paper. So just in case you missed that. And uh, just these passionate letters for the ministry and, and uh, talking about how they pray for us. And I've been there and, and spent time with that ministry. And, and it's there, the real thing. They really do do this from their hearts. Because, not just because of giving funds, uh, but because in the mix of the relationships and gospel partnerships, you develop this affection for the work that God's doing and for one another. And you pray for each other. And then finally, Paul says... Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, his inexpressible gift. That word thanks is the word grace. Throughout chapters 8 and, ten, 8 and 9, the chapters we just read, Paul uses the word grace ten times, as well as the word overflow several, several times. Grace, overflow, giving is what this is all about. And so how do you give grace to God? God, you thank him. You thank God. Uh, Grace returns to God at source in the form of thanksgiving. The grace gift of giving, we are grateful for the grace gift of giving. We thank God that we can participate in giving to his work. And we thank God because the gift of grace to us in Christ is inexpressible, indescribable. We can't even explain this rich truth. Because who can fathom that he who is rich for our sake became poor, that we by his poverty might become rich? In fact... Christ, in his poverty, gave us a picture that displays how, in his poverty, he made us rich. The poverty of his flesh is going to be by the bread we're going to take together. That he he took on human flesh so that he could die, so that he could obey in our place, so that he could suffer in our place. And the poverty of the the cup of uh, of juice that represents his blood, the poverty of him shedding his blood for our salvation, So he gave us a a simple meal that shows the example of how he's multiplied 
Like John 12, Jesus said, a grain of wheat, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it does fall to the ground and die, it, it multiplies. It bears much fruit. And Paul said in this text, he was the seed supplied and multiplied. Jesus himself is the seed supplied and multiplied where a harvest of righteousness has increased. Jesus' harvest of righteousness has increased, and we've received it. So we're going to take this meal together. When we take this meal together, what we are saying is, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. I believe that he took on a human nature in addition to his divine nature as Son of God, and that in so doing, he could die in our place. He could bear the weight of our sins and suffer in our place and pay the penalty for our sins. And that he did raise again from the dead after having shed his blood, after having died on the cross, suffering in our place, paying the price, the redemption price for our salvation. And if you believe that this morning, then this is a meal for you. If you don't believe that yet, then two things. Either don't receive the elements because you would be saying something that you believe that you don't yet believe, or believe it. This is great news. This is gospel and I encourage you to, to make this the day that you believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. His body and his blood are represented for us, and we, in that we have a fellowship with him, and we're demonstrating that we believe by faith that his life for our life, his righteousness for our life, righteousness, is what saves us. And within that, we have a living relationship with him. So the way we're going to do it is we have four serving stations around the room here, over here, back in this corner in here. We'll be here to serve you. We'll pray with you briefly. You can take the elements, and you can either take them here or you can take them back to your seat. Either way is fine. If you're not up for um, ambulating yourself, then we'll have someone who's going around providing uh, the trays for you. And we have gluten-free at this station only. I'm gluten-free, so this is what I'm taking. So gluten-free bread here. And let's pray and prepare ourselves. Father, thank you. Who can describe how awesome and great this gift of grace in Christ is for us? Father, I feel humbled by words are not adequate, but you've given us words to tell us the truth, just like we speak to a two-year-old. You've given us what we need to know in order to put our trust in you. Thank you, Father, for so rich a grace that Christ has had that he would step out of his high-privileged position, step into our humanity, our sinfulness, so that he could die in our place. And that in uniting himself as the Son of God to our human nature, he could be raised again to give us the victory over sin and death forever. And we recognize, Father, that even those of us who have received Jesus, we still sin. And so we need that ongoing cleansing that your word tells us. The blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from all righteousness if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So living in the light means I keep re-embracing the gospel again and again and again. Father, the salvation by which you have saved us in Christ is rich and powerful and has redeemed us once for all. And yet we're grateful that you keep that relationship with us up to date by reminding us, uh, not just through this meal, but 
not the least of which through this meal that we share together. That we do share in the life of Christ together. That we trust and believe in the gospel. That we belong to him. So would you cause those realities, Father, to, to give us uh, the meditation of our hearts that we need to embrace the grace of Christ, to seek cleansing and renewing from areas in our lives where we have sinned, and to thank you. Thanks be to you for this great gift. In Jesus' name, amen.